you know, Qatar has got this 2030 vision of where they want to be by 2030 in terms of sustainability. Uh, one of those obviously is is energy, and, but the other is thinking about, you know, well, we are a very small population of 100,000 Qataris. What can we do to make sure that we have, you know, a sustainable society in 2030? We need to make sure our expats are happy and, and want to stay and right. they've got a good quality of life because without the expats, what what will we do? Welcome to Coffee and Geography, where my guests and I geek out about the world and everything on it, discovering that we are all geographers in some way, shape or form. I'm your host, Kit, and my pronouns are they, them or she, her. So settle down with a brew, hit that subscribe or follow button and enjoy the listen. This podcast is sponsored by the World Energy and Meteorology Council, or WEMSI for short. WEMSI is an international organisation focused on weather and climate data to support energy transition, and we also work with educators. WEMSI have created TEAL, an easy-to-use, free visualisation tool that enables you to explore climate variables for the past 70-plus years. Get started at tealtool.earth. Find us at wemcouncil.org and follow us on Twitter at wemcouncil. Hello everyone, so we're back to regular programming this week if you like. Uh, I hope you enjoyed last week's special episode on location at the Geographical Association Conference. If you haven't listened to that, please do so. But, 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 but before you go and do that now, wait until this conversation is done because this is going to be really amazing because I have someone joining me from Doha, Qatar. Good afternoon or good evening, Emily Butler. Hi there, Kit. How are you? I am doing very, very well. Now, Emily, just as we were like having a chat before you started, because of course it's the month of Ramadan, it's just started, and you said that the sun has just set because you are two hours ahead of us, um, so it's around about quarter past six there now where you are, and you said right now, because the sun has just set, you just heard in the background the call, of distance. The call to prayer. Yeah, it's so beautiful being here and being around it. It's probably one of my favorite months out here in Qatar. Now, of course, the last two years we've been in COVID where there's been really serious restrictions. So we've not been able to, you know, embrace the festivities of the month that we normally would. But this year we're back in school 100%. So all of the students are obviously um, fasting uh, and, you know, we get to be part of that and they're, they're educating us. And I really like that. They come into school and they explain to me, you know, why they're fasting, what the kind of sentiment behind it is, which is fantastic. But like you just said, where I live, um, we've got a mosque right next to us. So we get to hear the call to prayer every, every evening um, and obviously when the prayer times are as well. Wow. So it's, I wonder if it has does it have the same impact as, um, like for me, where, where I used to live in Norwich, we used to live right by um, what's called Britannia Barracks. Uh, which is on the top of Ketz Hill. And they used to ring their bells every now and then and, and the chimes in the barracks. And and it was actually a really, really lovely sound. And I kind of loved listening to it in, in the background. And um, I'm not a spiritual person at all. Um, I'm an atheist and I, I have my own spirituality, if you like. I mean, if people say, you know, if, if sci-fi was a, was a spiritual experience, then probably that. <laughs> uh, but but seriously, but I, you know, you do get that kind of almost spiritual experience when you listen to kind of things like that. Does that do you get that kind of sense... Sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. It is, it is a real um, like 
beautiful thing you know I, I agree with you like I am not religious at all I've not been brought up in a religious setting however um my husband uh, his father is a priest. So, you know, when we got married, um, we we got married in his dad's church, which was fantastic. And that's kind of brought a new sense of religion to me. Although I don't necessarily practice, the, the values behind why people practice and why people believe in religion is something that actually I've really reconsidered. Um, so it's really nice when the students kind of sit and explain to me why they their practices are the way they are or why they do certain things within their religion, I actually sit and reflect and I go, actually, that's a really amazing thing. And I I wish to some extent that I had been brought up with that when I was younger, because I think it might have helped me to to focus more on my education or focus more on different aspects of my life. And I do think now if I was to ever go through, you know, something of a crisis or something really difficult in life I would call upon some kind of spiritual um aspect because it helps it helps you with you know thinking there's a higher power or thinking someone can actually help you with something yeah I kind of have that yeah I I do have that feeling myself it's interesting and I I think it's I wouldn't say underappreciated but I think it's a misconception that folks like us who are atheists or or folks who are agnostic cannot feel it that way in any shape or form because i think human beings themselves can be you know spiritual whether it's looking inward as well as looking outwards like i speaking to the wonderful adil hussein in india the the actor he was talking about you know his spiritual journey about the looking within finding happiness within um and finding spirituality in nature around around us which is amazing which is why he was on the podcast which was brilliant but emily we I, i got so into like talking to you about like when you say oh we've just had the call to prayer that I actually haven't introduced you yet Um, (laughs) so we already had a little bit of clues in what we've just been talking about but uh, Emily you uh, love traveling you love nature and animals and this has encouraged her to see the world Uh, Emily teaches internationally in Qatar and teaches the international baccalaureate and the international GCSE at Excel Emily has implemented eco schools into her previous and current schools and I'm going to be interested in how you're doing that in Qatar, <laughs> uh, and has recently taken on the head of, role of head of house. And you enjoy teaching topics such as climate change, coast and hazards, which is very much close to my heart as well. So, um, <laughs> yep. And as I've, as I've just put here, a little note is just make sure that everybody listening, any of uh, Emily's students or friends or anybody in Qatar listening, uh, Ramadan Mubarak to all of you and everybody who is, who is um, celebrating that and going through that process this month. So, yeah finally managed to introduce you i almost forgot <laughs> so um emily so we've got i've noticed that you've uh, got your nice mug with you then so what are you drinking what's what have you brought to the conversation I in your mug my tea i got- cannot go a day without <laughs> a cup of tea it's got my cats on it obviously yep. <laughs> and it says something like my best friend has four legs which could not be more accurate <laughs> So what are you drinking? Is it is it something imported from here? Is it something you get in a Qatar? Or? Uh, yeah, this is my Tetley tea bags. That I, <laughs> I, I, um, I buy in a store here called Megamart, which literally has everything from like Tesco or Marks and Spencers imported into it. So extremely expensive, mm. um, but nonetheless, very needed. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Whenever I go to the States, it's like um, to see family and friends. It's like you go into like the special international section of these giant supermarkets, right? And like you look for the Tetley, and they do have Tetleys, and it's like $8 for a small box of Tetleys. It's like, what? 
Um, so some, so I do stash my own in the luggage and take it. Over I know. And, you know, like, you have um, to. <laughs> I, uh, just on a side note, I came back from the UK the other day, um, and I got stopped at customs. Something flagged <laughs> up in my um, suitcase, and Easter eggs out here in Qatar are ridiculous. They're like twenty pounds. <gasps> so embarrassingly, I had to undo my suitcase and sift through it. And I kid you not, I had about. 15 kilograms of easter eggs in there <laughs> so the customs officer was like sifting through these easter eggs like do you just really like chocolate and i was like yeah <laughs> <laughs> wait 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 15 kilos of easter eggs because folks if you don't know easter eggs the commercial easter eggs they're hollow <laughs> yeah. so i know it, might, 15... it was just filled filled with <laughs> easter eggs like easter eggs and mini eggs just bags of uh. easter chocolate um yeah it was um funny now i look back on it but at the time i was so embarrassed that uh, yeah. it had flagged up and all that was in my suitcase was easter chocolate <laughs> well uh folks if you've got any uh strange customs um you know stories you know you should definitely like tag us on twitter about that in response to emily's one and i can share one actually it was when i Go took on. yeah well in season one i spoke to four students ex-students that i took to the united states very lucky we went to yellowstone um and like i was very clear of them you know that some of them hadn't even traveled before internationally right so i was like you know you can't take this through customs you can't blah blah blah, blah that kind of stuff and uh, we were go- everything was going fine we were we were going through uh checking and stuff like that and we were pulled aside for extra checks that's fine you know it was a bunch of us as kids students all that kind of stuff they probably thought well we just want to double check everything around comes this sniffer dog cute thing but i know as a child of a um a parent who had a working dog and as a family pet as well a police dog you don't interrupt them. You just let them get on with their job, right? Yeah. As much as you want to go, oh, you're so cute. <laughs> so we're just waiting for this little little thing. And it jumps and barks at one of the kids, right? I'm like, oh, no, what's going on here? It's like, like worse, it's not going to happen. Worse fears. They're not smuggling anything. You know that's not going to be the case. These kids are not <laughs> like that, right? But you're like, what on earth? Is-? And so he's been pulled aside. Your bag's been complete. Tour. Everything's going up, things like that. And at the bottom of his bag, he forgot to take it out from his school lunch one day was a mouldy banana oh no (laughs) so so this dog had detected this fermenting banana at the bottom of his bag that he hadn't (laughs) taken out for about two weeks or a week and that's what we got pulled over in in uh, yeah in this american airport for so yeah devon you know we're not gonna let you let that one down (laughs) so yeah so um with yeah customs loads of fun um so you've got you said you just come back from the uk then so uh, what part of the uk are you from so um i grew up in suffolk but when we go back to the uk now we go back to liverpool because that's where my husband's family live oh okay so mm. suffolk so i'm currently in south north i'm, I'm right on the river waveney so on the oh, north wow. of suffolk border so whereabouts in suffolk then um Sudbury Great Cornard so, okay yeah right yeah. so not too yeah not too far I mean this 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 seems like a very wide open area of of the UK you know Norfolk and Suffolk are quite big counties but uh yeah. but really it's I mean you and know I mean it's quite quite insular here it's you know everyone seems to seem to know everybody you know it's which is a bit bizarre with the way that North Norfolk and Suffolk people seem to be um so yeah <laughs> Sudbury not too far away um that's great so you're you're is there any part of I, I was. I, I'm not going to do it. You know, like going down the road or anything like that. You know, no. uh, just. I just did. I just. I'm so sorry, Emily. <laughs> um, is there any part of like Suffolk or maybe even 
from your partner's side from Liverpool. Has that come with you to Doha at all? Um, and I don't know. It's like, is a, is your UK identity, your East of England identity, like quite strong there? Do people comment on that or? Um, I I wouldn't say so because I would say that my accent is pretty generic of like South England. I wouldn't say that you would, English, you, as I think they call yeah, it. Yeah, I wouldn't say that you speak to me and go, "Oh my goodness, you are from Suffolk." Um, <laughs> Not very many people but, do, though. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, I was watching this video a, a few months ago, and it was like Suffolkisms, and one of them was like on the huh, which is <laughs> like when when you're um you know, a little bit wonky, um, and, or like, buh, so like, I'll be like, oh, um, you're right, buh, to like my husband <laughs> and things, and there, I guess, Suffolkisms, that if you were from Suffolk or Norfolk, that you would kind of pick up, but otherwise, people have never heard of any of those kinds of phrases, so I wouldn't say that my identity necessarily comes out in the way that I, I am, I would say that, my English identity as a whole does because you know like I love tea and I speak as the kids tell me like the queen or like I'm from <laughs> Harry Potter um, <laughs> yeah. um and yeah like you know for me my Suffolk identity is the fact that I love greenery I love animals uh, I love fresh produce. <laughs> yes, um, I love farms, you know, um, I love Waitrose. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, yeah. Um, and yeah, like those things are like integral in me. So it, there comes a point where I get really kind of claustrophobic in the desert because I'm like, I just want to go and walk in fields and fields and fields with nobody around me with loads of greenery and loads of trees and stuff and you just don't get that here now there's parks and stuff and they've got the beautification and they've put all of this greenery in but it's still not the same because you're walking around and it's 40 degrees right <laughs> with some palm trees around you so it is still lovely but the air's never fresh it's polluted and it's not real greenery <laughs> yeah. if you understand what i'm saying wow yeah I've, that's <sighs> That's actually a really, really interesting way to put it because obviously being in the same part of the, well, anywhere, and I think most people in the UK, especially if they live out towards the, you know, in the boonies and in, in the rural areas will probably identify with what you're saying. But being that someone will, can just walk 10 minutes outside of my house and I'm in that landscape that you just described, you know, with that we're walking through, you know, your public rights away through the farms and, and then, you know, popping into your farm shop, getting your local produce and stuff like that. And if you're missing anything, you just nip to Waitrose, as you said, whatever. But I never really thought about that in terms of, yeah, in places like in locations in the world that where you are, where that greenery is at best artificial, yeah. that must be a huge, yeah, part of your identity, part of your sense of self, which is missing there. Because you, yeah. you probably get a sense that it's artificial, a sense that it's not real, a sense that this is not the same as that rolling, because it's not totally flat here, folks. That's a myth. You know, it's quite rolling and undulating here yeah. in East England. Um, <laughs> so, you know, that you, you've you not got that 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 freshness. And you know, don't you, when we're here, when they're mucking the fields, like that's what they're, they're yeah. starting to do around. They'll be getting that lovely whiff, Emily, of, of the muck in the fields around here. Oh, yes. Uh, when the wind is in the right <laughs> direction. Um, but even that tells you that, you know, that, that sense of nature, that, that farming produce and, and that, yeah, that's it. I'm home I'm in my location. And yeah, to not have that is something I've not really, not really thought about. 
So I, I grew up in kind of such rural corner that I'd go around the corner to my friends who, you know, family owned a farm and we'd roll the hay bales uh-huh. and I, I like in the summer. And um, I, I tell my my husband this and he's like, shut up. Did you? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, we did, because that was just something that you did in, in the summer. And we had the Young Farmers Society. And I literally went to my prom in a tractor because that was yes. part of our village identity. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like that that is just part of life in the rural part of Suffolk. It's very farmer's land. And I say these things and it comes out and people are like, that's so weird. (laughs) It's the weirdest thing. I can tell you that is truly a thing, folks. The, the, The school that I taught at for a long, long time, just outside of Norwich, they did the exact same thing, pulling up at like Dunstan Hall or anything like that in their tractors, you know, you know, if, Yes, it happens. It's a thing. Yeah, so imagine that your partner being from Liverpool, being from that major urban yeah. area, is like, seriously, you're such a parody of yourself. I know, genuinely. <laughs> well, there you go. So, okay, so let's flip that question around then. So being in in, in Doha, you've already kind of alluded to the things that you really, really love about it. And yeah. um, so in a hypothetical sense, when you, if, if you ever were to move back to the UK to, to Liverpool stuff wherever it may be is there going to be any part of of Qatar that's going to like stick with you and you're going to be bringing back with you as, as, as kind of within yourself yeah I think you know I've had to completely reframe my teaching in the sense that I I teach with you know in a classroom probably 90% EAL students so I've had to com- I'm completely change the way that I teach to ensure that everybody can access my content, you know, down to the little things of the topics that we teach. You know, when I first arrived, we were teaching rivers to students that had never seen a river before because we don't have any rivers in Qatar. And I I was telling my year 11s today, because we do coasts now, and I was like, yeah, I I spoke to my my husband, who's my head of department, and I said, (laughs) why why are we teaching rivers? It's it's not uh, relatable. Like, we can't show them a photo of a river here. We can't take them out to a river here. So why are we teaching them something that they can't relate to? You know, it's not their landscape. So we're now teaching them coast, which is fantastic because obviously we're a peninsula and there's Mm. coasts everywhere. You just go to the the end of the country and there's a coast, right? Um, And even like, you know, the urban topic we do, I've had to completely rethink how we teach things like the Burgess model, for example, you know, like (laughs) a Doha doesn't fit any kind of urban model. So how do you explain the Burgess model to these kids that are in front of us? So I've had to really sit down and think about context of where you are in your um, school. So I think absolutely that's something that I would always consider now when I go back to teaching, if I do, inshallah, in the in the future to the UK, it I will always be thinking about well, is this topic completely relevant to these students? Do right. we need to it do we need to maybe rethink, you know, is it current? There was stuff on the system that clearly hadn't been looked at for five, six years that was totally uncurrent or you know like there's a big movement on twitter isn't there about decolonizing geography it's so important to make sure you're going through your content and you're not you know redistributing any kind of misconceptions it's it's so important isn't it that's that's something i hadn't really well i i kind of 
I'm definitely someone who is who's always subscribed to context, you know, to bring in the students' lived experience as much as you possibly can. And I, and one of the things that I did when I first took over as head of the department um, was to say, okay, what parts of the of the syllabus, what parts of the um, curriculum can the, the students not identify with, and, and if yeah. we have to do it, how can we make it relevant and in context to their lives? So, um, so I'm a big fan of like techniques, like for example, scaled down stimulus versus full scale stimulus. You know, we give them like a parallel stroke, um, analogous kind of situation in their real life, which they can then perhaps translate into something which yeah. is not they can't really, you know. So it's things like that, but it's it's hard work. It's hard work, especially because of the subject that we teach. I mean, again, I've said it many many times because I'm I'm lucky enough that I do have international listeners. Is that the way that geography gets taught in our systems in the UK system or in international school system a lot? Is that you bundle in almost a lot of things in an intersectional manner, and there's going to be so many things in there that the kids can identify with, but there is so much more that they can't identify with. And because it, it's so broad, yeah. you know, like yeah. rivers is a staple of geography, but to teach that in Qatar, yeah, you're you're absolutely spot on, Emily. Why would you, you know? So, I mean, maybe I don't know underground aquifers instead. You know, desert yeah. desert water yeah. systems, which underground rivers systems maybe, but not surface runoff rivers. You know, which yeah. is that's really really fascinating. Um, and, you know, there's even things that we do a lot of um, trying to relate it back to Qatar's rapid development and right. the World Cup. You know, like we, we're constantly banging on about Qatar's sustainability, Vision 2030, 2022 World Cup. And it's actually so crazy to me that I've been here, you know, just shy of three years. And when I got here, the World Cup felt so far away. And, you know, on on Friday night, my husband and I were watching the World Cup draw. Now, I'm going to completely diverge and go on a tangent again, but my husband is the most fluky person in the world. So he he was, he was really wants tickets to the World Cup, of course. So his thought process was, I'm not going to go for England because everybody's going to go for England for the seven games for, for the UK. Okay. So I'm going to go for a really left field team like Ecuador. So he got all the tickets for Ecuador, which amazing, like loads of people didn't get their tickets because they went for England. And then when we were watching the World Cup draw, their first game's against Qatar. So he's going to go to the opening game for the World Cup. That is jammy. (laughs) I was sat there like, how have you managed this? This is crazy. Like just from thinking, I'm just going to go for a team like Ecuador. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and well ecuador could have been drawn in england's group for all you you know as well yeah, they so, could have done. But, um, so i think it's so it's england usa iran and it's going to be one from wales scotland or ukraine yeah because wales scotland and ukraine are in the playoff in the same playoff bracket as each other and as much as i want to see as many of the home nations reach the world cup finals i think a lot of people will be rooting for ukraine <laughs> Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, you know, we were watching the interview with uh, Gareth Southgate um, and he he was saying, you know, like, we're not making this political, you know, we'll do everything we can to to help Ukraine get there, but they'll deserve it just as any other team deserves it. You know, we're not trying to make it a political device of who who deserves it more and who doesn't deserve it more. But I I totally agree with you um, that if Ukraine gets it, then absolutely fantastic yeah. because it's just something for everyone to be able to look forward to, isn't it? Yeah, and I think I think 
I think the Ukrainian team themselves would want to earn it on merit as well. And yeah. I think, and I think the Scottish and Welsh, um, I've, they're kind of in a in a no lose situation really because they'll either win win through the playoffs and get to the World Cup final, so, and uh, they'll be they'll be happy as pie because they've. Let's face it, you Welsh and Scottish friends, you you, you don't have much <laughs> success with with you know, and then um, but if 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 they lose out to Ukraine, you know maybe that'll be some solace for them. But uh, um, so maybe they're they're, they're they've got <laughs> the best and the worst situation if you know what I mean. But uh, yeah, it's for your because of course your your um your husband is a massive football nerd. You know he's oh as goodness, we yeah. as we were just about to start recording. You know he was in his football kit ready to go and play football um so yeah that we cannot you know have any conversation with you in Qatar without talking about the world cup you, you yeah, know you just naturally brought it up yourself and um yeah it's something that I taught as something on the horizon with regards to you know um when we taught when I taught about um oh this is what I wanted to ask you Emily because um, before I use this term is that of course the, <laughs> the most common term is the the middle east yeah. Um, the the vast, but there is a movement at the moment to say, well, we shouldn't be using the Middle East because it's a very colonial term. Perhaps we should be using ge- the geographical term of West Asia or Western Asia instead. Do, is there any? Have you have you even heard of that as an alternative? Do do folks there um, really care? It's called the Middle East, or no? I think there's a deep sense of identity in in being Arab. So we mm. call it the Gulf region or okay. the, the Arab nations. Um, so, I mean, they, the, the actual people who are Arab or from the Middle East would never um, refer to themselves as Middle Eastern. I think you're right. It's a very Western term or a very British term. Um, but I hadn't actually really reflected on it myself. I, I guess because I'm out here, I don't necessarily say, oh, here in the Middle East, I would say here in the Gulf or, or here right. in the, the, in Arabia, I guess we call it out here. Okay, that's really interesting. Cause I've, I think just that little thought a lot of people have had actually, because, you know, yeah. especially as you mentioned, you know, the, the decolonial circles, you know, that's that's a conversation that has been like, what, what do we call, you know, this part of the world? And and uh, yeah, there's, there's a debate about, well, the first thing, and I always say, well, why didn't you ask the people who live there? <laughs> No? Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> okay, cool. Okay, right. So, so now that I've established that, so for the the area, the Arabian Peninsula, that part of the world, yeah. <laughs> um, I used to talk, teach a whole unit on it, and one we did a, a complete lesson that focused on the sustainability of of um, Qatar. Well, actually, it was sustainability of of Dubai in the United Arab Emirates, um, and I used to use the um, the snippet from Mission Impossible with. Tom Cruise climbing on the Burj Khalifa is like the opening <laughs> as the starter activity. I'd like to them to describe, you know, like what, um, you know, the, the 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 urban development of D- Dubai and things like that. And then um, there's this fantastic, there's like the world record attempt for the highest eagle flight or highest trained eagle flight where the eagle set off from the top of the Burj Khalifa and then had a camera mount on its head. And then circled down to to the trainer's arm, which was amazing. So I used those two videos as the start. Then the following lesson to go off. Okay, what about the Qatar World Cup? Is that sustainable? Or Qatar yeah. as a country? And we used the World Cup as as a kind of um, an assessment of not just environmental sustainability, but it's social and economic. And of course, as we've been hearing quite a fair lot in the build up to the Qatar World Cup, the 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 focus on human rights. Mm. And um, there was. 
um, for this unit. This 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 is this front loading. This pre- prelude is relevant. Everybody, I'm not just rambling, right? <laughs> <laughs> for, um, which I know I do sometimes. So in let's see, in January 2014, there was a fantastic um, article in the National Geographic magazine, um, and it was called "Far from Home." And all it all it was about it was about um, migrant workers in well mostly in in the uae yeah but then i applied it to qatar because of course there are migrant workers working in qatar and particularly on the world cup and the fact they said it said in uh, of the 2.1 million people in dubai only one in ten one in ten is emirati it's incredible and the rest are migrants working on temporary contracts. And I added this little thing because I need to put Qatar's but around 80% of Qatar's population are migrants. And in most cases, these folks will never be offered Emirati or Qatari citizenship. So, which is incredible. Of course, a lot of things happen is that they go to work and they send the, their money, the remittance, yeah. back home. So mostly a lot of these people are from the Philippines and, and whatnot. So... I don't know. It's, what can you comment on that, um, Emily? So, can you see? Can you see with your own eyes and your own experience? Yeah, of course. You know, it's very evident that it is a, a majority expat country. Only a hundred thousand of the population are Qatari. Um, there's a very low percentage of the population of the two point nine million people that live here. Wow. Um, when wow. we, you know, it's it's so such a fantastic thing to discuss in the classroom though because I've just finished population with year seven and we looked at migration and we looked at all the different um ethnicities within the classroom and and we reflected and and we were talking about things like you know what are the push factors and the pull factors from your your home country and the host country being Qatar and obviously a lot of the reasons that people are here is due to to money you know the the income is so much better than their home countries. So of course that's attractive. You know, you want to have a better quality of life. You're you're going to go to that place that will help you access that. Um, especially if you've got families back in your home country that rely on your remittance for education or whatever, you know, the money is used for. Um, and yeah, of, of course there, there's a lot of that, the population that are from, countries that are maybe not as as wealthy as Qatar and then people are maybe put into certain jobs in society that Qataris or maybe other people from other countries wouldn't do so a lot of people come out and they are uber drivers or they come out and they work in hotels or um there's a big um thing here of like uh like takeaway drivers so like they're on their motorbikes and they they bring you your food and um, obviously in the UK when I left in 2018 or 2019 they we didn't in Canterbury where I was living at the time we didn't have people that came on a motorbike and brought you your dinner you know like I've, I'd never really seen that before so you know it's convenience isn't it and it's it's cheap so you, you use that and um, yeah you know there's obviously conversations surrounding the way that things have been you know built in Qatar in terms of the World Cup and there's a lot of uh, media um, kind of speculation surrounding it and of course maybe there are practices that are not considered ethical in in the way that we would in the UK Um, but that Qatar has made a really big effort and movement towards making sure that you know, that's 
that's not the case anymore or they're trying very hard to make sure that there are really strict laws in place to make sure that people are protected and um, the media doesn't ever talk about that and I'm not defending either side but I do think it is an important conversation on you know information mis misinformation you know right. where are you getting your sources from yes that is true in some cases but what are they doing in response to make sure that that's not the case moving forwards? And I, and I know that I think maybe 2015, 2016, they brought in a law where, you know, people can't take passports from people anymore. That's, that's you know, modern day slavery. That's not yes. okay, you know. Um, and that is illegal now in the country. Now, I'm not saying that things don't happen, uh, you know, but they are reflecting and they are moving towards trying to have better practices to make sure that something like the World Cup is built sustainably. Um, and obviously when we're in the classroom and we're talking about sustainability, sustainability is not just the environment. Sustainability is about our economy and, and our society socially. And what are we doing to make sure that people are benefiting from this environmental sustainability? And I think, you know, Qatar has got this 2030 vision of where they want to be by 2030 in terms of sustainability. Uh, one of those obviously is, is energy and we can, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about that um, in a moment, but the other is thinking about, you know, well, we are a very small population of a hundred thousand Qataris. What can we do to make sure that we have, you know, a sustainable society in 2030? We need to make sure our expats ha are happy and, and want to stay and that they've got a good quality of life because, Without the expats, what what will we do? Hi folks, a chance for you to recharge your brew, but also a polite prod to remind you that it's so easy to support this podcast. Simply liking, sharing, rating and reviewing means that it will get on more people's radar. Also, there are a few links down in the description which may be of mutual benefit. Please do check them out. So before we move on to, to the last bit I want to talk about, it's going to be loads of fun. What do you think <laughs> then about this World Cup? I mean, you, what level of it do you think is sustainable? I mean, because you mentioned you're doing about eco schools, you yeah. know, in a, in a country awash with oil, can can a school ever be eco-friendly? Can the World Cup have any environmental aspect <laughs> to it? Um, we uh, With the eco schools, I've worked really hard with um, members of my school to try and really you know, set it alight and get kids keen. And the kids are keen, you know, these kids are international. They've got a real awareness of their surroundings, of different countries, of, of what's right and what's wrong. And they, they do recognize that they're in a country that is, you know, funded by gas, you know, gas and oil. And that's what a lot of the money is earned from. And I always say to the kids, you know, if you can get gas for super cheap, are you going to fund your solar panels out in the desert that are really expensive? Probably not. You know, it's not necessarily their priority right now, but um, it's my responsibility, I think, as a geography teacher to educate the students about, well, okay, we're fine now, but are we going to be fine in 10 years? Are we going to mm. be fine when you, when I have children? Are we going to be fine when you have children? And actually we really need to make sure that we're doing the right thing now so that everybody has the same opportunity you know we're very lucky of all of the experiences that we can we can have now with you know very low impact of climate change at the moment but in 10 years and 15 years is it going to be 
the same? Are, are we going to see that the Maldives are flooded and you're never going to be able to go to the Maldives should you want to go to the Maldives? You know, is there going to be massive wildfires in the UK and and that you're not going to be able to to go and walk in the woods or whatever? Um, and I'm digressing a little bit, but it, the kids have, have been really keen and they we're trying all of different things across school. We're, we're trying to focus on waste and energy in particular, and biodiversity. So obviously, like I've I've kind of alluded to before, it's not an awful lot of green space. So we're trying to integrate um, trees and greenery and encourage wildlife into our kind of pitch area at the back. We're trying to do lots of different things to encourage people to obviously turn off the AC and the lights when they, they leave the classroom. That sounds so basic, but lots of people don't turn off their projectors and they don't turn off their AC when they yeah. leave the classroom. <laughs> right. um, and that's incredible energy that you're wasting there. Um, we're really, really trying with recycling. It's not really a thing here in Qatar at the moment, um, which to was very painful for me when I got here because I'm so used to being like, this goes in this bin and this goes in this bin and this goes here and we go to the bottle bank and, you know, um, we recycle our clothes here and all of that kind of stuff. And um, it's getting better and there are places that you can go to recycle things, but it's an effort. So we're trying to put a group of students together to make sure that that effort is put in place. We are recycling our paper. We are recycling our plastic. Um, and another event that we we did in September was the Qatar Sustainability Week, which was a big event in Qatar. Um, lots of businesses and big corporate companies were coming together to say, we're doing this to be more sustainable. We're doing that. Um, and we had a company come in to school which was a construction company for one of the world cup stadiums okay. and they talked all of the kids through all of the the different things that they're trying to do to make them more sustainable so one of the um stadiums uh Raspurbood, uh stadium which has now changed its name and i don't want to say it wrong so i'm just going to say the Raspurbood stadium it's made of containers so contain all containers from container ships. They've made oh. the whole stadium out of that. And then at the end of the World Cup, they are going to send those containers to, to places that need them for building or creating apartments or whatever in other parts of the world. And um, they've got obviously the architectural designs in Qatar. If you look at the old soups and things, they've got particular ways of building the souks that allow for winds to create natural air conditioning because obviously uh. before the 1970s or whatever when they got an electric grid here they 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 had no ac units so they had to build their buildings to create something to create that wind so they're trying to use all of those kind of architectural experiences from the ancestors and the, the cultural heritage within the country in their designs for the stadiums and you know again recycling making sure that they're using low energy alternatives there's solar panels on the top of some of the um stadiums as well which obviously isn't going to offset the whole event but it's more steps that are being taken than maybe people would have even imagined in a country like qatar that's yeah and that's <clears throat> i'm gonna have to put that um i'll have to find out about that stadium and stick the um the link in the, in the description i think i think that would be very fascinating to to see how that goes and um 
yeah, because of course one of the criticism of previous major events, be it an Olympics or a World Cup, is is how and I think the, the the tragic pictures, particularly from Rio, you know, from both the World Cup and the Olympics, where these stadiums are now just left abandoned and they're pretty much it's like something out of the book, the world without us, you know, where where you've got wildlife and nature growing back through these stadiums. Not that that's a bad thing, but the fact that the stadium has gone to waste is a bad thing, you know, yeah. and swimming pools which are now abandoned and stuff like that, and how it's had no benefit. Um, I was just looking at the um, at Qatar, so I have some data here. Um, it's from from uh, actually our, our sponsors um, from World Energy and Meteorology Council, our sponsors who have got this educational tool called Teal, and it says that um, in basically the average um, annual temperature in Qatar for from between the fifties and the nineties was about twenty high twenty five twenty six degrees Celsius. But in the last 10 years, it's been averaging about 27, high 27 to gamma to 28 degrees Celsius. So in just that, that that period, you know, there's been a step up of an average of two degrees Celsius. And of course, if and that could mean in extreme temperatures wise, your, your 40, degree, 40 degree day, you know, could be pushing towards a 45, 50 degree day. Um, yeah. And that, you know, now you're getting beyond the human. Well, you, you 40 degrees already is. Yeah. you know up to the point of human tolerance um where yeah, so if you, i think 52 degrees is 50, human tolerance wow. and um we we push 50 51 degrees at our highest temperatures you know what does that even and feel it, like ridiculous i know you know when the humidity hits you're like ah. oh my <laughs> at least when it's dry heat it's not so bad but when the yeah. humidity hits yeah it's game over <laughs> yeah wow okay let's 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 bring this i was going to say um bring this call call this down a bit I mean, we've already talked about your love of tea so we'll skip that one right but <clears throat> we're gonna spill the beans to finish off uh, before okay. we do we're all joggers and talk about your love of cats because oh my god the, i the, love cats the first thing <laughs> that happened as soon as we you got on the call was like hi kit and then this big white and orange like fluffy butt just appeared on the screen <laughs> so who's this who's this fluffy critter that you have he's gone and um, that is cashew cashew, cashew is our rescue nice cat um, so obviously here in, well, not obviously, but here in Qatar, there's a lot of um, stray animals and a lot of animals that need rescuing. I think being a, a very transient place, often, you know, animals get left or, or sadly abandoned. And then there's, you know, there's no kind of uh, neutering or anything. So there's a lot of kittens. <laughs> <laughs> um, and when, you know, I've always had cats all my life. Um, when we got here, I was like, I want to rescue a cat. Like, I feel like it is, I've been put on this earth to rescue a cat out here. So why are you in a guitar, we were, Emily? Not to work in the national school, it's to go <laughs> rescue a stray cat. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and when we, uh, it must have been like a month in once we'd settled, we went, uh, Andy was like, let's go and get ourselves a, a rescue cat then. So we went to one of the kind of sanctuaries out here. Um, and actually, I, I begrudge saying this, but Cashew went straight to Andy and was like <laughs> snuggling him. And, and I was like, okay, this is the one because he clearly really likes you. Um, and now he's um, Andy's little boy, really. Like he, he obviously loves Aww. both of us, but he, um, he's Andy's little boy. Bless Aww. him. So you said you had cats when you were growing up. So how many cats have you had in your life so far then? Um, so when I was really little, I had a female cat called Bobby. <laughs> okay. I was like obsessed with the name Bob and my mum was like, should we call, should we call her Bobby. Bobby? So I was like, Bobby fit. And then um, <laughs> Bobby had her own kittens and we kept one called Snowy because naturally 
you know a tabby cat is called snowy yeah um and then (laughs) you know that they're kind of the circle of life happened and that's that um and then we got another cat maybe when i was like 12 11 12 called tuffy three cats by 12 okay (laughs) tuffy um i my mum used to read me this story when i was little called um the diary of a killer cat (laughs) and it was this ginger cat that obviously caused chaos and we got this little ginger kitten and i was like we have to call it tuffy because you read me that story like every night about the the ginger cat so um yeah but sadly um tuffy tuffy is gone now um very sad times indeed i loved him very much but um that, that's again just the circle of life isn't it but yeah. um now now we've got cashew and he is my you know uh, those cats the you know those memes that are like be a cat in a millennial's life yeah. like he's literally <laughs> my baby you know he's he's a millennial's cat <laughs> i love it yeah i've i was thinking about ginger cats we've got um we've got a, quite a few kids books um featuring cat we did have a cat um called uh, well sassafras was her name but um she was uh, a turtle shell cat but we just called her fuzzy um Aww. but we ha- unfortunately we had to get rid of fuzzy because when when our eldest came along and was a little critter and was starting to you know crawl around and cruise we wouldn't find fuzzy anywhere but un- but underneath the sofa or underneath the um the the bed or something like that you know just did not <laughs> take to having a child in the house so we had to, we had to rehome her for her own sake bless her um but uh, I'm a dog person, I must say. But yeah. uh, I did grow up um, when I was very, very little, little. So when we had our our dog Ben, who was uh, Alsatian dog and a police dog as well, we also had Badger, who was another tortoiseshell cat. So Badger and Ben, and they loved each other. They really Aww. got on really well with each other, which was really nice. We actually got a few pictures of Badger and Ben um, snuggling up to each other. That was quite nice. And then Badger so went sweet. and lived in. We had to. I don't know why we got rid of Badger. Maybe I think we couldn't because at that time things the pennies were really tight. That was in the eighties when interest rates like were starting to go up to like fifteen percent, and my parents were going without food, so they rehomed Badger. I think for that reason, and she went to live as a farm cat more or less, and uh, well, a petting zoo cat, uh, where she was quite happy there. So um, <laughs> yeah, down in in, in Harlem at Pet's Corner. So yeah, but uh, okay, a little, little bit of the cats there. Right, <laughs> got get put get a picture of um of cashew and, and stick it on Twitter, M, and then we can uh, we can all see oh, what cashew yeah, looks like. I will do that. I've yeah. got so many. <laughs> yeah, take your pick. Um, we well, Twitter limits it, limits you to four, so just four, please. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, last thing then. Uh, we are all geographers, so we're going to link you back to um our previous well our previous guest before the geographical association conference. Um, but what we did at the Geographical Association Conference, I got people to link so many different words in previous episodes. So I did actually think about giving you like a choice of like anything previously, but I'm like, no, I've got to, I've got to come back to continuity, yeah. right? Um, and the last guest we had before the Geographical Association Conference was uh, Mr. Sean Ferrick, um, who is was an absolute delight. Uh, he would say not a geographer by any stretch of the imagination. He's like a, a YouTube content <laughs> creator who's just absolutely lovely fun. But was actually gave I think Emily has given you a really really interesting word um, to link to geography or to have a go at, and that is the word recharge. Oh, so, recharge! Yeah, so to recharge. So, however, however you so wish to take that, Emily. And if um, for folks who have listened to the podcast many times before, Emily can choose to link this word recharge to a geographical concept or geographical process, 
if she so wishes, or quite simply her own personal retake on the word recharge, but she's only got 30 seconds to do it. So okay. Emily, what do you, what do you think? You ready to give this a go? Yeah. So I just, I can say, I, I can say loads of words. It's not just one word, is it? So yeah, well, yeah, you, you just basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what you do, you just basically talk about the word recharge in any way, shape or form. Yeah. Okay. And okay. you've got 30 seconds. So I'll have my timer for you so you can see. Right. Well, so whenever you're ready, you can make a start. Okay, so um, th- thinking about our whole everything that we talked about on the podcast, we are recharging the country of Qatar through the sustainability processes Ooh, nice. that we're trying, you know, with their 2030 vision. So any of the movement towards renewable energy um, and renewable processes, they are that's recharging the country of Qatar. Oh yes, you got you got a few more seconds if you want to fill oh, up. What about um, yourself? What do you do to recharge? I like to recharge with tea. Tea, I knew you'd say that. That's <laughs> right. There you go, thirty seconds. <laughs> Nicely done, Emily. Nicely done. So now you get to turn um, the tables on our following. You never get. Well, I don't know why I keep saying that. I keep saying these podcasts. You get to turn the. Ta- no, you don't because it, we don't go back mm. in time. It's like I don't now go back to last week and say to Sean, "Hey, Sean, um, Emily's giving you." <laughs> No, I don't know why I said that. You now get to pass it on, pass on the baton to the next guest, okay. where you can pick any word you so wish uh, for them to do the same. So anything okay. you want? Continuity. Oh, okay. Continuity. Uh, you were so quick on that one. I haven't even got ready to write down. <laughs> <laughs> Continuity. I love it. Actually, Sean, you would, you would love that one, Continuity, because being a massive Star Trek fan and of uh- all iterations <laughs> of Star Trek, Sean loves talking about continuity about hang on a minute you know that doesn't quite meet with box history and what you know so actually that would have been perfect for him he could have gone on for miles with that one Uh, but for for the next guest continuity love it right so then we've given a shout out to the lovely cashew we've given a shout out to Andy your husband who's who's off kicking around a piece (laughs) of lever at the moment Uh, anyone else you'd like to give a shout out to um oh i i absolutely love jen on twitter she's fantastic jen monk, um just uh yes jen, jen monk she's fan yeah. um and uh just uh, my lovely friend eve that i work with i could not work in my role as head of house without her she's my rock so those are my two people and obviously my mom oh yes you we did get love her yeah hi jen it's lovely and you're jen you always have an open invitation to come on you know whenever you say yeah absolutely so um social media you have uh i know you have a twitter account so people want to connect yes i do at miss b geography miss b geography yep so there we go well emily this has been fascinating chatting to you and lovely to chat to you it's um yeah just so much fascinating insights um just talking about your experiences in in Doha there and and what what great timing to to kind of just come on like right at the beginning and like, like oh they've got the call to prayer right now <laughs> oh no I know and it just I, I love a challenge of a misconception so yes. really I hope that from this podcast if I can change anybody's opinions or open people's minds a little bit like I really hope that's what we've done so well you've definitely done it with me that's for sure and that this is <laughs> and it is and it is generally hand on heart the main reason why I do this podcast is because I get to talk to wonderful people like yourself and have my misconceptions challenged and my horizons broadened as well yeah it's been such a pleasure as well because you've really helped me with my kind of awareness of oh, things too so that's great bless you <laughs> well let's make a deal we will continue to do that for each other Yeah, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you so much, Emily. Thank you, Kit. 
thank you so much for listening. We hope you had fun. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe so more stories and experiences can drop into your favourite podcast app. If you fancy being a guest or have any feedback, follow us on Twitter at CoffeeJogPod and send us a DM. Or you could email coffeeandjog at geogramblings.com. Until next time, keep geogging.